Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale. And on this week's episode, my guest is Andy from Swiftwater Brewing out in Rochester, New York. Well, I want to say a big shout out and thank you to Andy for having me out to the to the uh, brewery to sit down and do the podcast and allowing me to interrupt your day and come in there and hang out. Uh, one of the things I love about the podcast is talking with people I know, with friends, people who are you know owners and chefs from familiar with what they're doing and their restaurant and their business, but also it's talking to someone who I've never met before a day in my life, and Andy is that person, um, is one of those people, and it's just a lot of fun to talk to somebody who I have zero idea who they are. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have an episode's coming out here in the future. I had Bud Laura on, a good friend of mine, back on the podcast for another episode, and he's coming in, and I already know what I want to talk to him about. Um, but people like Andy, I, I'm, I love talking to him because I have no idea who he is or his views on beer or how he grew up or building his business. And so it's really fun just to be able to have like a really curious conversation uh, with somebody like that. So um, gorgeous space out there. Definitely check it out. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a four pack of their Alpaca Kisses beer to bring back to Syracuse and really enjoyed it. Um, so if you're out in the Rochester area, or if you're going to be traveling out there, or you just want to go on a day trip and go check out some cool breweries, definitely put them on your list. Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this week's intro. We're going to get right into this week's episode. It's my conversation with Andy from Swiftwater Brewing. So we were just talking. So you guys have been here since 2015? 15, yeah. So almost eight years. Okay. Mm-hmm. What made you want to get into brewing and, and starting and all that kind of stuff? Tell us a little bit of the history. Yeah. Uh, so I started, I, I've always loved to cook, and homebrewing was a pretty easy extension from, from that. So um, when I was 21, um, 22 maybe, I started homebrewing just on the stovetop. Um, kind of had the hobby for about 14 years, but picked it up, put it back down, picked it up again, and then got pretty serious about it somewhere around 08 or so, and got more and more serious, started um, attending our local homebrewing club, which is uh, Upstate New York Homebrewers, okay. and um, uh, competing in their contests and the state fair out in Syracuse. I went out to a, a couple times. And I don't know that they did a homebrewers contest there. They did um, uh, years ago. So I think probably until right around 1450 and something like that. Okay. Yep. That's cool. And it was the Salt City Brewers that ran it. Mm. Did pretty well in, in, home, uh, the, in the competitions and um, kind of always wanted to start my own business. Wasn't having a lot of success in the career that I went to school with, which was teaching history. Uh, It's just really hard to get a full-time job teaching history on a college level. So um, especially without a doctorate and after writing 100 pages for a master's, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I can do 500 for the doctorate. (laughs) So um, my dad is is a dairy farmer and has run quite a few um, different businesses. Uh, he's had a part in three different farms and uh, hmm. 
uh, cooperative that of uh, 30 farmers. Wow. And so, you know, he kind of like encouraged me to write a business plan. Um, I had a background in construction and a background in restaurants, and it kind of kind of all came together uh, pretty well. It was a lot of work, uh, 15 months of building the place, and the building was in really rough shape. It had been raining inside for five years or so. Wow. So we completely gutted it, put it back together. So when you walk in, every surface that you see, the floor, the ceiling, the walls is either new or completely refinished. Hmm. That's wild. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, what made you pick this part of town? Well, um, the really easy answer is that I live a 15-minute walk from here, so that's really (laughs) awesome. And partly that, and then partly there there was this awesome beer bar in town called the Tap and Mallet, and... Uh, because of that, I felt like people in the Rochester area were, were already coming to the South Wedge for, for beer and, and used to coming to the South Wedge to find good beer. So I thought maybe it wouldn't be too much of a stretch for us to open up four, four, four blocks away. Yeah. And it worked out uh, pretty well. There's pretty good synergy. So, you know, the first, the first year I tried, if they were having an, an event, I tried not to have an event That's cool. and then all you know it just happened that the first time Bissell Brothers was was in town at Tappan Mallet we had already scheduled an event and I was like well everybody will probably go to the, the Bissell Brothers but we were busier because mm. uh, there was so much overflow from the Tappan Mallet so mm. people would go there first come to Swiftwater go back to the Tappan Mallet vice That's versa cool. yeah yeah yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I was I talked to to me. The part of me thinks that there's like uh, like back in Central New York, Syracuse, for example. I think there's almost too many breweries, and every time one opens up, I'm thinking to myself, uh, "Dear God, not another one." But uh, my my good friend Tim, who owns Buried Acorn, is constantly telling me he wants more of them to open up. Yeah, I mean, you can't start a beer trail by yourself, and. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I don't think that, I don't know what the, the too many breweries is, but we're not, we're not there yet for sure. Yeah. yeah. So Rod, you downtown Rochester, essentially downtown Rochester has got 12, you were saying? I believe that's right, but yeah, I might've missed one. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like the scene out in Rochester is bigger than in Syracuse. Like there's more well-known breweries i feel like yeah i think maybe maybe there's a couple larger ones for sure um you know Roarbox and three heads and obviously genesee yeah uh, have been been around quite uh quite a while um and are pumping out some some pretty serious amounts of of liquid for sure yeah yep yeah and maybe um like just to compare it to syracuse maybe maybe the the boom happened in Rochester like a year or three before Syracuse. But, yes. <laughs> you know, I think we're all kind of on the, on the same trajectory. Yeah. I, um, I just opened up a restaurant in April with friends of mine and, um, it's called three, one fried and we're a fried chicken sandwich restaurant, but we operate inside of another restaurant. Mm-hmm. So inside a limp lizard barbecue out there and working with, so with eat local New York, we've got, Restaurants 160 across the state and Buffalo and downstate and a couple out here. And I've seen the trend like four years ago Mm -hmm. of 
gourmet fried chicken sandwiches popping up inside of other spots. Sure. Uh, and it, we just, you know, we're like kind of the first in Syracuse, um, one of the first. And it's funny to see, like, in Syracuse, people are saying, oh, this is the hottest trend just now sweeping the country, and we're getting it in Syracuse. And I'm thinking, ah, this happened three years ago, four years ago in Rochester. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm um, uh, Chicken Out is like yeah. a pop-up. Pop um, I'm going there uh, next kitchen, Wednesday. Essentially, yep. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, people rave about it. I've, I've, I've had it once, and it was delicious. Yeah. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. I went to uh, Cluck and Buck last week over in Fairport. Mm-hmm. Um, he just opened up his own spot. He started out inside of like a bar cool. uh, that he worked at and uh, had a kitchen, and then now he's got his own spot. And uh, yeah, I'm going to Chicken Out next Wednesday, so I'm excited to try that. Fun, fun. I've yeah. been following their stuff online for a while on social, and yep. they do a phenomenal job. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So one, you know, one thing I was talking to Nate about last week was the progression of his beer making from when he was home brewing to first getting started. You know, they've been up for three years, but what was that like for you back, you know, back when you first got started and you've been home brewing for a while, but. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think I'd answer it maybe a couple ways. Like, um, uh, you know, I'll talk to homebrewers all the time and they're like, Oh, what was the hardest part about starting a commercial brewery? Like, was it, you know, especially mall, uh, amounts or like hop utilization. I was like, and I'm always like, now is like mopping the floor that first, <laughs> that first winter. Like, um, but, uh, until we figured out how, how to efficiently get the salt off the floor, that was the hardest part. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think in a way brewing's the fun part, like all the janitorial stuff, all of the, um, uh, just the maintenance, like, anything that breaks around here it's on on me to fix it Hmm. and so that that's maybe like the and then and then the record keeping uh figuring out all the taxes to pay making sure you're compliant with all of that stuff like that's that was the hardest part for me starting but um to get back to the fun part um uh, I, I always think like if we're not moving forward, we're falling behind, you know, because mm-hmm. across the country and for sure here in Rochester, like the amount of new breweries that are opening um, and the level of the level of quality is going up across the board. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of the newer breweries that are opening, like um, the quality is higher than it was 10, 20 years ago. And then you know those of us who have been around for seven eight years we're we're uh actively trying to get better as well so we're Mm. always looking for any way to like improve the product make it um make it a little bit better so um Mm. you know i think the biggest learning curve that we've really tackled over the last six years or so um has been dissolved oxygen so just reducing our oxygen in order to um, maintain flavor over time and increase our shelf life. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've got a lot of questions based on everything you just said. One of them is, is it, um, you know, like if you make, uh, we're drinking your Kolsch right now, sure. right? Yeah. So um, a Kolsch, I'd imagine, is more of a traditional recipe, right? It's like, listen, here are the parameters. This is a traditional beer. Stay there. Yeah, we're not. Well, I mean, um, 
you can get weird with it. So, yeah. you know, Genesee has the tropical Kolsch and the, um, the ruby red Kolsch. And uh, I don't know about Syracuse, but that's gone over incredibly well in Rochester. Um, for us, for us, I think we like to, um, to leave those German beer styles alone and just make a, as, as close of an example of uh, that style kind of like emulate some of our f- favorites from Germany mm. and really bring that over here and have it available, fresh, local, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So is it, is there ever like a recipe that you want to mess around and like experiment a little with and change things? Yeah. Uh, so we change everything. So yeah. um, like one, we made this, ba- this same basic whole stress recipe once and it was good not great and we um i did a bunch of research and uh water well, you know the water chemistry in cologne mm-hmm. and tried to emulate that <laughs> and it, it just made it sparkle a lot a mm. lot more so there's there's a there's more things that we make that i want to try and tweak a little bit then mm. there are things where i'm like nope leave it alone yeah, yeah. how does that and i'm, I'm not, not a an expert when it comes to beer or brewing mm-hmm. uh, besides the fact that I know what I like to drink mm-hmm. and I like to experiment and try different things that I haven't tried before. But I, you know, like I'm, I, I, I have this conversation a lot with friends about is, uh, is the job for like a local craft brewery. Are they trying to, I shouldn't say the job. Are they trying to actively expand the average drinker into more of a beer enthusiast or, just try and get more regular beer drinkers. Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, there's a couple things I would say. Like, first off, like, we're, I, I say this all the time, like, we're not really in the business of making beer. We're in the business of selling beer. Mm-hmm. And we can only make the uh, beer that will sell. But um, sometimes it's more a question of volume. So we are set up to make anywhere we can really make anywhere between five gallons and um, uh, 650 gallons of one style at a time. Hmm. So sometimes it's not a matter of, is this a good, I I don't want it to stifle our creativity just because we can't sell 650 gallons. So then it's just my job to match um, what we're making with how much we make. So, you know, uh, one of a friend of mine is in sales and, and he's like, you know, I'll sell anything, but if, uh, if you send me a, a smoked Martin, then, uh, you know, maybe I want this much of it. So, you know, that there are a lot of people that, that smoky flavors will turn them off. So, um, you know, maybe if we make a smoke smoke marts and maybe it's a fifteen gallon batch rather than a uh, than a six hundred and fifty gallon batch. Yeah. yeah. Has there been a beer uh, over these years that you've done? Like maybe it's something you were just really into. You know, research the hell out of it. Really happy that you put this beer together, but then just couldn't sell it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we had a saison with sage that I was like oh, in oh, love wow. with. Yeah. Um, and. The the reception wasn't bad, but um, it didn't move terribly fast. Like, and you know, part of that is the just the the style. Like, you know, we're 
a lot of our our beer goes out through our tap room, and some of that, um, some of the beers like you know saison with sage, um, a lot of our regulars want to try it once, maybe twice, mm. and, and might enjoy it. But then they'll sit here and crush like five IPAs or five <laughs> Kolsch's or something like that. So, um, uh, so it, sometimes it's not. Sometimes a beer doesn't move as fast as we want, but it's not because it's not well received, and it's not because it's bad. It's just because hmm. maybe people don't want to drink more than three of them in a sitting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably certain beers that uh, are meant for the one or two and not the 12. Yeah, um, for sure. And, you know, I like making those beers, too. So then it's just a matter of, like, how much do we make? Like, do we bottle it? Do we can it to move a little bit more volume? Do we send it out to distribution? Do we keep it in-house? So it's kind of a constant juggling act to figure out, you know, new stuff that we're making. Where is it going to go? How are we going to get it gone and, you know, whatever, whatever the timeline we're hoping for. If it's IPA, then we're hoping for like a month or six weeks. Hmm. If it's, uh, you know, like we have a pub out, pub ale on tap right now for that. I'm fine if it's gone six months, you know, hmm. like it can, it can live here for six months. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've never really thought like, you know, managing social media for Willow Rock back home. Uh, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that because in my head, I'm thinking to myself, all right, this beer just came out. Uh, so it, now it's my job to kind of create the, you know, um, what the it, buzz. yeah, the buzz yeah. for it to yeah. get that out of here in like a month. Like, yep. and there's, then they've got this, you know, I think it's like a 10 or a 12 or maybe it's a 12 percenter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a barley wine, you know, it's, we made it and you know, the bottles have been there for a while yep. and every time I'm in, I go in there, I'm like, oh, I want to post about that to get it out of there. Sure. But people just aren't going after it. Yeah. And you know, sometimes that's like a seasonality sort of thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, I know I am much more likely to go for uh, a taste of a Russian Imperial stout or a barley mm-hmm. wine or, or even like a porter in the wintertime than a, than I am in July. Yeah. Um, not everyone's like that, but I think a lot of people drink fairly seasonally, so they'll lean the skew a little bit more towards lagers and IPAs in the summer, and then a little mm. little darker in the in the winter. Yeah. Yes, and then you know, kind of jumping back to what what I was just saying is is that another beer that we make. Excuse me. Um. It's a 15.3% barrel-aged stout, mm. and um, we serve it in 10-ounce pours, and mm. I think it's probably a bad idea for anybody <laughs> to have more than a couple. Um, so, you know, that's obviously going to go a lot slower than, you know, a Kolsch that we're serving in 16-ounce pints or Steins and is 5-ish percent so that mm. you can drink three or four. Yeah. Still, uh, uh, get home just fine. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, I don't know, it, it, I'm, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking like, I wonder, I've never, I've not yet to stumble across a brewery that's, that's like trying to be, uh, a purist or like really snooty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I'm probably, uh, if it's available, I'm going to 
buy a four pack before I leave and I'm going to go straight to buried acorn and we're going to do a video of us, me and Tim, uh, chugging one of your beers. Sounds great. Cause that's his thing. Yep, right. Yep, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, uh, and so, you know, now we're doing these chug contests once a week on their social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have yet to meet, like, I'm trying to think like, as we're talking about, and I'm thinking about all these questions of like flavors and beers to sell and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, it's something to, you know, yeah, enjoy, obviously, but most people are drinking them to yeah, feel something. for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and as far as, like, as far as snootiness goes, like, I, I'm always been the, a believer in, like, try everything but drink what you like. Yeah. You know, like, when, when, I was, when I was growing up, you had to try everything mm-hmm. that was put in front of you on a plate. Okay. So... You know, like, I think that's just stuck with me. I've mm. never liked beets. I don't know. They taste like dirt. I, <laughs> every time to this day, if, if beets are on the table, I'm going to try one. I know I won't like it, but I'll just try it anyways. <laughs> but then, like, you know, I'll go to go go back for the asparagus or, or whatever. Yeah. Any other vegetable other than beets, I'm no. down. But that's pretty I just funny. can't do it. Uh, so, you know, I, I always in, encourage people, customers, friends, whatever, try everything but uh with an open mind but if you don't like it don't don't feel like that's anything saying anything bad about you You, you're just finding out what what you enjoy and what you don't yeah yeah that's wild um you were talking about like trying to stay up on trends and in the beer industry where do you where do you as a brewer look for those things um you know we're we're kind of fortunate that the we get given a lot of beer um, by customers, other brewers, friends, whatever. So uh, that's a big, that's a big part of it. And, you know, we stay in pretty close contact in in the Rochester area with each other. And we'll, we share each other's beers. We get together once a month for, uh, for a meeting, Hmm. which has no agenda. The only agenda is that we always take a picture to post on social media. That's it. Um, So we, uh, the the first rule is no business, no mm. sales guys. Like nice. just um, just uh, or or what I should say is like no no people trying to sell stuff to brewers. Yeah. Um, so nothing against them. It's just like we already have the New York State Brewers Association, who's that more like formal business oriented organization. They do a phenomenal job. Yeah. So we don't want to do that all over again. Right. We just want to have this group in Rochester where we get together and hang out and try and try each other's beers every month. So that's pretty awesome. I'll, I'll, I've definitely taken some inspiration from that. Hmm. Um, uh, I love getting inspiration from cocktails. So we made like a smoked grapefruit Paloma, Hmm. uh, uh, last spring that I was pretty, pretty thrilled with. Yeah. Um, Couple couple years ago, I made a um, we made a smoked habanero beer hmm. with mango, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." One of my best friends lives around the corner, and has has a kitchen bar that's maybe one of the best cocktail bars in Rochester. Hmm. So that's kind of fun. Uh, so I brought. Some over to, to him to try, and he's like, 
oh, we got this tequila. We should try it with tequila. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, so we tried that, and uh, that was pretty fantastic. Hmm. So then we actually, it was during COVID, which um, allowed us to can cocktails. So ah. then we found this, uh, this really cool spirit from Hollerhorn Distillery that's an hour south of here or so in the Finger Lakes. And it was a barrel-aged maple uh, spirit mm-hmm. that was tasted about as close as I could imagine anything tasting to like a mezcal <laughs> or a tequila in mm. this, uh, that's made in New York. So we, we bought a bunch of their, their stuff and blended it and canned, canned cocktails. So that was kind of fun to see it go full circle. Um, kind of being inspired by a cocktail originally and then, um, and then bringing up, making beer and then turning the beer back into a cocktail. Yeah. That's really cool. Huh? Um, do you, you have a farm license here? We do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, run a bar back home as well and it's on a farm and so they have a farm Mm -hmm. license and, um, that's been really challenging, mm-hmm. uh, building a bar program and a cocktail menu with a farm license. For sure. We've, it's always been on, well, not always, but for probably five years, it's been on, on the wish list of like, we should figure this out and like, you know, just do like a cocktail or two a week and like mm-hmm. maybe rotate, re- rotate through some stuff. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have made it happen here and there, but but not as a dedicated all the time program. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a it, it's really expanded um, what I know is available in New York State, you for know, sure. for distilleries, which is there really is some great stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because we do. Uh, I just started a cocktail series of videos we do this thing called tales from the bar and then i'm just doing like recipe videos and and so having sort of that freedom to go and use whatever i want over there but then um having to be a little bit more creative with the stuff we do at the farm is it's it's challenging it's fun but um like i said you really start to kind of have to get creative and mess around with stuff for sure yeah i I like tequila cocktails or mezcal cocktails, yeah. and that's that's a tough one for me. I'm, I'll I'll come up with an idea and be like, "Oh, I really want like a really smoky mezcal for this," <laughs> and, and just can't. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't figured out how to grow agave in in New York State. Apparently, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have not. Yeah. Um, so what's it? Uh, I mean, what you were talking, you were saying sixty percent of your sales are in house, so. Um, what was it like kind of getting into like beer distribution? Did you guys, did you start off like year one with trying to wholesale and get yourself out there? We didn't, um, you know, starting a bar was, uh, was enough for the first six months. And then we, I always intended to have, um, have a pretty strong food component to Swiftwater and we had to open, you know, like, all right, the building's basically built. Mm. The brewery is making beer. The tap lines are serving beer. Mm. The kitchen isn't set up to uh, to pump up food, and and also like we didn't have the staff for it at the mm. beginning. So I didn't want to 
start with bad food. Um, I thought it was better just to hold off and uh, and when once we figured out how to run the bar component, then then tackle the food. Yeah. So six months in or so, we started slowly introducing menu items, and um, that was pretty great. And then you know I got a lot of requests for um, for distribution. We were making enough beer that we could send some out, so we started self-distributing beer, and I did that for probably a year and a half um, hmm. before we we signed with a distributor, and self-distribution is distributing beer is a lot of work it's uh you know getting to know the person who's buying it um uh in person or by text or email or however they prefer and then organizing what they're buying and then actually getting the beer to them and Basically, after a year and a half of that, I decided that my passion really wasn't looking half barrel kegs, which weigh like 180 <laughs> pounds into basements. Um, so uh, we signed with the statewide distributor, and um, and that's been pretty helpful just to let us expand beyond um, you know what we sell in house and and ship beer around the state. So. Um, I feel like that's overall been a, a pretty good relationship, but it is like it is quite a different aspect of our business for sure. Yeah, yeah. Who is that distributor? Uh, they're they're Remarkable Liquids out okay. of Albany. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Um, we I've, I'm just I'm asking because I'd love to bring some on at the farm. We've got mm-hmm. twelve breweries, I think, and I've got twenty different beers represented. Cool. Um, we we only do cans. Um, because they make their own hard cider at the farm, the farmers do. So it's a, it's mainly an apple farm. Mm-hmm. It's an attraction based farm. You know, it's all they grow fruit, but it's only meant for you pick stuff. Cool. Um, and so yeah, so I'd love to bring some of that on because uh, I've got pretty much everybody in Syracuse in there now, and uh, I've brought in a couple, a couple. Uh, who else was there? I think there was one or two from Rochester, but yeah, it's, um, yeah. Beer distribution, talking to like Tim, uh, a lot, talking to friends, beer distribution can suck. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard work. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I did a podcast with Tim maybe four years ago and, and when they first opened that their sole focus was distribution. Mm-hmm. I think COVID changed that a lot from people I've talked to that they they've shifted their focus to on-site sales more than anything. And I, I, I see more breweries opening up new, like multiple tap rooms now because of that. Sure. Um, then they are focusing on trying to get their beer in every possible city that they can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the distribution game has gotten really competitive for sure. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, when, when, if you go out with the intention of selling beer, you're, there's a lot of other good beer out there that you're selling against. And, and even if your beer is very good, um, there are so many places now that are rotating through stuff that um, it does make it challenging for both the distributor and the brewery to know, um, know how much of one style to make or like one, one brand to make. Um, it, it definitely becomes a lot, lot more challenging to to plan 
and yeah. and do that balancing act of like how much how much of this product should we make and and yeah. where should we send it mm. yeah. yeah yeah how much how much do we put in half barrels how much do we put in six holes how much do we put in cans yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could not imagine trying to guess. You know, I mean, I'm sure over time you kind of get those trends that develop, obviously. But, uh, yeah, that's that's challenging. Yeah, I mean, the the more you make of something, the, the easier it gets because you have a, a track record to look back on. Um, and there's, like, three varieties that we, we try to consistently keep in stock. Um, but... Mo- everything else we're we're bringing something new every every week you hmm. know um so that's for me the fun part is like always having new stuff to put on draft but it absolutely makes things more challenging as far as the planning perspective goes figuring out figuring out how to package it and where it goes but then also like when we buy hops, we're projecting for the next year and a half or so. So, you know, sometime over the next week or so, I need to look into my crystal ball and see how much of X hop we'll, we'll use in the, uh, between now and February of uh, 24. Hmm. So it, it definitely makes it challenging just keeping that in balance, not having too much of one hop this year so that it starts getting old um hmm. but then also not running out so uh yeah that 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 can be a challenge for sure yeah, yeah. um what's it like working with because uh, you know like some of some of the companies have, ch- have closed right so since the pandemic what's it like having to source because i imagine you guys do a decent amount of volume if you're going up to as much as you are so What's it like having to source so much of your stuff from New York State? Has that gotten more difficult? Uh, for sure, yeah. Um, we've worked with two monsters and three hop farms, four hop farms that have gone out of out of business or or just decided that it wasn't worth it to harvest hops anymore. Hmm. So yeah, um, sometime in the next week, I need to get on the horn to um, to our current hop farmers, but then also. You know, there's a few varieties that we like to buy from New York that um, that we we only know of one. Only one of our uh, hop farm hop farmers grows that certain variety. Hmm. So now it's looking elsewhere in New York State to find. Hopefully, we can find another farmer that grows that particular hop. Yeah. So yeah, it's um it's a constant challenge for sure, and um. Yeah, and just you know, I don't know the the monsters though that we've worked with that have gone out of business. It's kind of sad because like we finally get in a really good rhythm of like uh, they have all the product that we need and they they know what we're looking for, and then all of a sudden it's like all right, go now we now we have to go find somebody somebody new. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Or you know, right now we're working with murmuration malt quite a bit and they can't quite keep keep up with the amount of malt that we need so Mm. you know then we have to uh supplement and look around for other stuff Mm. elsewhere yeah so you can snap your fingers and you can change one thing about the industry on your end oh geez i don't know uh 
more money would be good. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I always joke that the you know brewing is no way to no way to uh, make enough to buy a Jaguar. You know, um, and uh, that's that's definitely true. I I, I think um, and I I think also you know one thing that's come out of COVID on the money end is that for decades uh centuries maybe like service staff has always always been uh underpaid and now i think you know because of the labor crunch i feel like we've all had to um hand out a a whole lot of raises and i think that's eventually going to be i think it's you know the moral thing to do and great for our staff but I think eventually, too, it'll also make for a more sustainable industry if if we have dedicated, passionate people who who can afford to make a career out of this. I think that'll be a absolutely a plus for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I I'm in a group t- group message with uh, Tim from Beard Acorn and Keith Redhead from uh, Wow. Why am I blanking? Woodland Farm Brewery out in Utica. Yep, yep. And um, with Tim started a show, and I told him, I'll, I said, I'll, I'll film every episode if you let me release it on Eat Local New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was called Will It Ferment. And so uh, every week they just take random things to see if they can make beer out of it or alcohol out of it. Fun. We started it during the pandemic, and the concept was everything shut down. You have to get drunk. What are you going to do? Sure. Um, so one week they took... I think it was just before or after Easter, they took their daughters who are like seven years old to the dollar store and gave them five bucks and then brought them home and they had to make beer out of it uh, or alcohol out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Keith's, Keith has a video of his daughter buying all this candy and the woman behind the counter goes, well, you're getting all this candy. What are you going to do with it? And this little girl goes, we're going to make beer out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so we're always joking in there about you know how they're millionaires and they can do whatever they want. And mm-hmm. uh, for some reason, on my algorithm on social media, I've been getting this ad lately for it's like the that diner cartoon game, but now it's for breweries. And so the sale, the ad that I always get, it's a picture of a cartoon brewer, and the copy says, "Make beer, sell cans, become a millionaire." <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, if it was only that easy. Yeah. Yeah. um, uh, Just on the will it ferment. um, Another, a big part of our food program here is, is we make our own bread. Hmm. And then I've also been trying to like, you know, over the years we've made like sauerkraut and kimchi. And uh, right now I've got some um, uh, hot peppers fermenting for, for hot sauce. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. as far as other, th- yeah, I'm not really sure beyond that what I would change. Yeah, tell you the truth. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's real. It's it's fascinating for me to to talk to to brewers about it and just the business and what it's like. You know, when you're talking about like mechanical issues and things breaking. I think of food truck owners. You know, sure. they say like one of the most important things for a food truck owner to have is a great mechanic. Absolutely. Yeah. And. Uh, or know how to do it yourself. Yeah, so we've um, uh, we've been kind of fortunate in Rochester and uh, to have a company called um, Ultimate Brew Service, and now they're going out to Syracuse as well. Mm. Um, and they like 
will fix anything that breaks basically in mm-hmm. the in the brewing science so that's fantastic um you know i've got a a really good kitchen refrigeration guy so that's really important but um and then you know i have other friends um in the trades that that you know are are good trades people so they're too busy to actually do the work but they'll they'll always take my phone call or text and tell me how to fix it so you know that's pretty fortunate too yeah is there any advice that you would give to somebody who's um either just starting out or like has a brewery or somebody who's wanting to get into it you know, I think if you're getting into it, um, if you if you're interested in opening a brewery, I got really good advice, which was uh, budget for everything down to napkins. So like mm. just everything that's going to cost mud money should have a line in your budget somewhere. So mm. you know, I think the more you can build in that cost, and then you know, costs always overrun. So just um, when I was doing it, like if I looked up. The napkins I wanted to buy, and they were two bucks a piece. I figured on two fifty because mm-hmm. it's by the time you're open, it's probably going to be more expensive. And mm-hmm. if the napkins aren't, then the plates are, or yeah. something like that. So, you know, I think really come in with a very good idea of how you're going to do everything. Have all those things planned out because once you get into the building stage, like there's so many things that you can't anticipate that you'll be focused on that if you have that really easy plan of like, Oh, yep. Um, here's the lights I'm going to order. Then, um, then that makes everything go a lot smoother. And, you know, there's the old, the old line that everything costs like twice as much and takes three times as long or something like that. That, that, that's definitely the case. We were actually like pretty close to on budget Hmm. for through construction, but um, but we did run over, so yeah. as conservative as I tried to be with, with laying out the finances, um, we still got to the point where it's like, all right, we might not be ready to open a kitchen, but we got to open because <laughs> we need to get some money back in the door. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I think that just the more, the more you can prepare for like the business aspect of it, the permitting aspect, paying taxes, reporting to the state, the TTV, um, getting brand label registrations. Like the first time you do it, it's a lot of work to just to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And it gets a little bit easier over the years, but, um, you know, Mm -hmm. it's still, it's still a lot, a pretty big time suck for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So the more prepared you can be growing in and know how to do it, the the less stress you'll you'll have. And I don't know, I went in expecting to work 100 hours a week um, for five years. And then like, you know, five years in, I um, met with like a lot of my coworkers and like the managers here. And I was like, hey, guys, I want to like get it down to like 50, 60 hours this year. And it was going really well for about a month. And then, uh, you know, that was February of 2020. So Mm. once COVID happened, I was right back into, um, working like crazy, trying to figure out like Mm. the next business plan. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to shut it off when you leave here? Um, I need to get out of town in order to shut it off for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so my last question is what's, 
Do you have a like a fixed point that you're hoping to take things in the next? Maybe it's gone back so you can get back to 50, 60 hours, but in the next five years or two years or whatever it is that you're saying, all right, I want to be here. Yeah, I think it's just make it more um, sustainable, um, a little bit more sustainable financially. We've always been, we've always been, like our first five years, we're we we're always like profitable not like incredibly profitable but profitable is is a win for a, a new restaurant bar brewery um and then you know the last three years or so have been really rough but um but there's been enough like government government assistance to like make up for basically all the the, the loss of revenue yeah. and now you know after this year that that financial assistance from from the government is i would imagine is going away mm. I, i'm not planning on anything more in that in that <laughs> regard um so it's just figuring making sure that af, after we are done with the financial end of covid hopefully the other end too <laughs> um that we're in a new normal that where everything's in the black at the end of the year. So, you know, that's been, that's taken up a lot of thought for sure. And then, um, and then also make sure it's sustainable so that we can hand out raises and pay our people what, what they deserve to make. And then probably the last bit will, that will fall into place is figure out how we can hire and train up that one more person so that, (laughs) that I can, uh, uh, work like normal human. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So hopefully that happens too. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for having me in. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Great to meet you. Yeah. And uh, anybody who's in Rochester uh, or coming through or just wants to come out here and get a great beer, come check out Swiftwater. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed whatever platform you're listening to this on. That way you'll be updated the moment a new episode is released. And as always, you can stay connected with us online on our website at eatlocalnewyork.com. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. We'll catch you back here next week with another brand new episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. 